Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good? Good. Hey, I have to tell you, this is the number one most traveled day in the year, the Sunday after Christmas, especially whenever it's uh, Christmas falls this far in the week, as far as it did this year on a Thursday. So traditionally, this is a pastor's worst nightmare of a week whenever, especially in a church plant when there's the fewest amount of people. We're less than half capacity right now, but I have to tell you, this is my favorite week of the year. So you're in for a treat because I've been looking forward to this week for months, <laughs> literally, and I'm excited about this text. I'm excited about this morning. So turn in your Bible. You brought it to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I would be on the ground um, talking to you, but these people are already sitting here, and it's a little weird. They're really close to me, so I'm going to stay up here. It's less weird. Hey, some of you already know this. If you've known me for a long time, you've, you know this little fact about me. If not, I've, uh, one of the jobs I had in college that made me a lot of money, I had multiple jobs my whole time in college, um, but one of them was as a personal trainer. Now, this was back before there were big box gyms. So before, like, a Gold's was really big. It wasn't really big back then. They had a few centers. There was no Rush. Uh, there was no 24-7 fitness or lifestyles or curbs or nothing. All you had were these mom-and-pop gyms all over the city and a smattering of YMCAs. So to be a personal trainer, you just got accredited. You took whatever test, had a license, and then I had basically a membership in, like, six different gyms, wherever my clients were and you were able to make enough money to pay for the memberships and pay yourself. One thing I learned while I was in college as a personal trainer, well, I mean, there's really two things. One is you don't make a whole lot of money doing that, so I quit doing it. But there's really only two kinds of people that walk in and out of a gym. There are those who come in with a plan, and then there are those who come in and just make stuff up as they go along, right? They're just kind of writing the script as they go. These are the chest and arms people, right? If you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about. Every day is chest and arms. What kind of day is it today? I don't know. I'm feeling chest today, you know? If you're a girl, it's elliptical every day. That's what I learned. Always on the elliptical machines. A thousand of them with 999 women. Only one of them is empty and it's because it's broke, right? That's the way it is. These people traditionally made my paycheck. They would come in with no plan and I would look at their chaos and bring order to it and help them devise a plan because even though they did chest and arms every day, they got tired of not feeling good or not looking good, right? Traditionally, someplace between their car and the locker room, they would divine or feel what kind of a muscle group day it was. But the mood ring never pointed towards cardio or abs or yoga, I mean, forget that, right? That's a four-letter word, or mobility, or anything like that. Always chest, arms, and elliptical. So I would come in, and I would try to help with that. Some of you are upset, because you're thinking, man, today was a chest day. I was going to do chest. Now I'm not. I think many of us, this is how we handle our year, planning our lives. I think we just kind of make it up as we go along, right? Always saying that this is going to be the year that things change. This is going to be the year that things change for me, always threatening these big drastic actions, never really looking any different though, right? This is the year I'm going to go straight up paleo, like vegan paleo. I don't even know if that's a real thing. I just made that up. But this is the year that drastic things happen. I'm going to fast TV. I'm canceling Netflix. I'm doing drastic things this year, but never really looking like you want to look. So we are just days away from a brand new year. Yeah. 
just days away from a brand new year. So I thought we would just tackle the awkward but unique topic of making a plan. Making a plan with your life, being intentional with your year. But not just that, but how it's a reflection of how we see the gospel. I do think it's a gospel issue, and I'm going to try to make the case today. And I know half of you just fell asleep because I said the word plan, right? It just came out of my mouth. So the eyes started to roll towards the back of your head. And then half of you probably panicked a little bit inside because you think I'm going to take a foreign object and put it in your already very busy schedule. But I'm not. You don't have to panic. You don't even have to fall asleep. I think, I think you'll find that whenever you organize and be intentional and be a good steward with your life by developing good plans, there's actually a lot of rest in there for you. A lot of rest. There's a book that I read this year. It was very helpful. It's written by a doctor, Richard Swenson. The book is called Margin. I've linked to it on our blog. By the way, today, feel free not to take any notes. I know some of you are note takers. You don't need to do it. Um, right now on our website, there's going to be a blog post with the rundown of what I'm going to talk about today, and there's going to be links to some of the things I'm going to mention just to help out. There's a link to this book. Um, the book on margin, he talks about and prescribes as a doctor, and he kind of preaches as a communicator, how to live in the safe place called margin, in between the load of life and your power to meet the load. So the load of life, these are things like debt, deadlines, issues, problems at home, problems in your marriage, obligations, expectations, commitments, power. Power would be your energy to meet the load, your skill set, time, training, emotional strength, physical strength, spiritual strength, finances. If you take the power, the capacity you bring to life, and you take away the load, you have margin left over. That's the equation that he pushes in this book, so I'm going to want you to remember that. Some of you in this room are very, 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 very far under margin, right? Which means you have a lot of power, you just don't have a lot of load on you. Now, a lot of times, that's because you're not very industrious, and the Bible affectionately calls that, what? Laziness. Calls it sloth. <laughs> calls us sluggards, right? This is when the load is so tiny, or we just ignore it to the place to where nothing really bothers us. We have no weight on our shoulders at all. So you have a calendar app on your phone, you're pretty sure, but it's blank because you've never set it up. You might have it because it came with the phone, right? Or you might have actually put forth the effort to download it, but you've never actually put anything in it. This might be you. And by the way, being busy is not the same thing as not being lazy. You could be very, very, very busy and very, very, very lazy right at the same time. Being industrious is not being busy. There's a great collection of articles and blog posts that C.J. Mahaney wrote on the differences between being busy and being industrious. I've actually put those on the blog post. There's a link to those. You can download that and read that on your own time. It's very, very good, though. I would recommend you do that. Some of you, however, are not under margin, but you're over margin, right? You're in what's called a negative margin status. You're actually over, overloaded, and your power is not able to keep up with the load. So you have a calendar app and you wear it out. You don't have any blank spots. They're all big blocks of time with nothing in between. Have no time to drive from A to B. Have no time to chew your food. Everything is rushed. Everything is put together. There's no breathing room. There is no margin. Right? Now, 
Making a plan with margin in it does not get rid of stress. It doesn't. Now, God will help us contend with stress, and God will help us deal with heavy loads, but it doesn't just get erased by a good plan. What I want you to see today is that planning and being intentional as a steward of your life is a gospel mark. It's a gospel signature. It is a way in which we can look like Jesus. One thing that Christ said to His Father in John, He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You gave, me to, you, you gave me work. You gave me a plan. And I've accomplished it. Christ himself was very industrious. He was a good steward of the moments he spent on this planet with us. And when we are industrious, and when we steward our time, we image this. So gospel living is very inconsistent with accidental living. Gospel living and accidental living, they're mutually exclusive. How we handle our schedule our energy, our space, our time, our money, our treasures, our talents, our gifts, our callings, how we handle those things show how we see God's gospel to us. That's what I'm going to make the case for today. One thing you need to know, though, and some of you might not know this, so I'm going to say it, but I'm not going to say it as something that's very, very obvious to everybody. God is the owner of everything. He owns everything. And He establishes us is managers. The Bible uses the word steward a lot, but it's the same word. A steward is a manager, and a manager is a steward. But we see in Psalm 24, and this is the big verse that everyone always points to, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God creates creation, and then He fills creation with more creation, and it, it's His. He owns it. It belongs to Him. And what does He do? He administrates it. He administrates it and stewards it to us. What, as owners? No, no. As stewards, as managers, where we exercise the same gift of administration and stewardship with God's creation for His glory. For His glory, He gives it to us. Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required of us that we be found. Now, what is he talking about the mysteries of God? He's talking about the gospel. We're gospel stewards. Paul understood that it, it was his job to devote his time, devote his talents, his energy to executing the Master's will, what glorifies him. So when we set out to do what gratifies us, when we set out to be about us, when we set out to serve us and listen to the flesh and listen to our desires and glorify ourselves and elevate ourselves, we are virtually in the process of felony theft. We've upended the cart. We have now said that I am the owner and you manage my affairs, God. You don't own anything. I own everything. And I'm going to ask you to do some things with what I own. It's felony theft. Now, we never set out to do this from God. We never set out, even a new year, most of us, I mean, no one, well, no one, come January 1st is going to think, this is the year I'm really going to rip God off. I mean, this is the year I'm going to steal and blind. But I'm afraid that when people set out and they don't set a plan for the year, I feel like it's easy to step in that trap. Maybe inadvertently, but we do. Without a good plan, without being good stewards of our time, our talent, our treasure, our energy, our space, we do this by not being intentional. I know that's a big claim. 
But I bump into people all the time, and this is very common. Luke, I'm not a good reader. I don't read books well. I, 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 don't, I don't have good endurance when it comes to reading. I will say something like, well, what's your plan? What, you mean like, to read more? Y yeah, what's your plan to read more? I guess, to read more, I guess. I guess I'll read more, right? But that doesn't sound very intentional, does it? It sounds very accidental. It's, in fact, very wasteful. Luke, I want my marriage to be better. Well, what's your plan? Oh, I don't know. I just want it to be better, right? It's very accidental living. You have to do, you, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be something set forward, right? We need a plan so that waste does not follow us. Waste does not find us. God is always juxtaposing waste and diligence in his word. We see it all the time. Very quickly, it'll be up on the screen. Proverbs 21. We've all heard this a million times. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. That word hasty, the understructure of that language, it could also mean haphazard or accidental. Right? Everyone who is haphazard comes to poverty. Proverbs 6, this is a big one, right? Always, Bible always very, very good at painting pictures. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Listen, quickly, it is possible to have a good plan and still be lazy and still be slothful, and still be a sluggard. It's possible to do that, but it is impossible to be diligent and a good steward and not have a plan. It's rather impossible to do that. Setting goals and planning your life, especially your year, and being diligent with the resources God has stewarded to you, that is nothing more than taking the chaos of what followed sin into the garden and bringing it into order. So when Adam sins in the garden and death enters and cancer enters and hate and sin, chaos comes. Chaos comes. It starts to rip humanity and rip creation apart. We see this and this is a really... Now I think we went over this either last week or the week before. It's a very helpful passage in Genesis 3. This will be up on the screen. We see God telling Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. What is he saying? What is he telling Adam right here? He's saying, Adam, no longer are the days where you can just walk around like Forrest Gump and just good things happen to you and you don't even do anything and you don't play. You're not just picking fruit off of trees anymore with barely dressed, just waltzing around. That's not going to happen. The earth isn't going to yield up its strength to you. You're going to have to bring order to the chaos that has now come in because of sin. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. All those animals, they're not your buddies anymore. Some of them want to eat you. They will bite at you if you stick your hand in their face. It's not the same situation anymore. Adam had to be diligent and put a plan together. Tuesdays, I'm chopping wood now, Adam says. I'm making this up. He didn't say that. Why? 
because he doesn't have any hardly any clothes on and now it's cold winter has come right what's Wednesdays Wednesdays I'm hunting why because that animal's still trying to bite me and I'm going to eat him now Thursdays what are we doing I guess I'm building a house I guess we're doing all kinds of things and on mankind goes building families building businesses building cities building nations and none of it accidentally all of it requiring intention and great intention Many of you, you know that this is an important thing to do. But my goal is to show you that it is a gospel mark. You see, let's look at Ephesians 1. I'll show you. Ephesians is very helpful for me. By the way, as we read this passage, if you ever find yourself in a place where you're with someone that does not know Jesus and with someone that you want to share the gospel with, but you want the word to do a lot of the work, Ephesians 1 is a really good place to go. There is enough of a gospel Capsulation, just in the first part of that first chapter that it basically preaches the gospel for you. So just so you know, you can kind of stick that in your hip pocket. Start, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What I want you to see in this, as we roll through this passage, is all of the intentionality on God's part. His planning. His architecture purpose his structure his intent his goals all the words we struggle with watch how god himself worked within this blessed be god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him what is going on here it talks, about, it talks about the gospel and the fact that we have place with God because of what Christ has done. Well, how did that happen? Uh, because of a cross and an empty tomb. Well, why did that happen? Because God purposed it. Because He thought about it. Well, since when? Since before the foundations of the world, it says. So think about this. Bef before there were any atoms bouncing off of each other, before God even birthed the stars, before there was any multiverse, before there was any anything, he knew of a cross. He pictured a redemption. He knew of an atonement. This took plan. There was progression. There was an idea that came so that another idea would come later on. There was a plan and a purpose. There was a direction. In love, in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the what? The purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us what? The mystery of His will. According to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Do you see God's intentionality there? He did not accidentally create a family on earth for him. He did not accidentally bring Jesus here. It wasn't a reaction. It was forethought. There was, like I said earlier, architecture and how history is rolled on. Living in an accidental way, it denies this. Living haphazardly, focused 
on today, not planning for tomorrow, with no mind given to growth or innovating your life to be a better steward of what God is giving you, it does not image that at all. It images the other part. It images the opposite in the fact that you are not ruled by what reflects God's glory, but you are ruled by your flesh and your desires. You are ruled by what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And when we are too lazy to plan or too overburdened to put a plan together that even works, we're not real correct. We're in, in a correct way, we're not displaying the gospel. We're displaying an anti-gospel. This is where I think it becomes a gospel issue for us. Because it reveals what we think about God. It reveals what we think about who owns things and who manages things. It reveals what we think about design. It reveals what we think about who is king. What a kingdom is. Is there order? Is there structure? It defines what we think about God in general. This is why whenever you hear people bail on a, like a New Year's resolution, it's always flesh-driven, right? I had a good resolution, but I quit. Why'd you quit? It's too hard. It's too hard. I didn't want to. It was too difficult. Maybe it was not for me. These are all flesh-driven statements. There was a moment and a time where the person bowed to what they wanted to do instead of another plan. Gospel people live in such a way that their stewardship points to another steward. It paints a, a portrait so that their life points to something bigger, to the gospel. The gospel news for you and me is that God was a generous king who took our chaos, because we're a very chaotic people, and he brought it into order through a sacrifice. And we can live in a way that images this. None of it was accidental, however. None of it was. Our money should point this way. Our time should point this way. Listen, our gifts should point this way. Our callings should point this way. This is why we see in 1 Peter 4, he just, Peter just straight up says it. He says, as each has received a gift, well, how did we receive it? Well, God administrated it. He decided and dispersed it according to his plan and will. It wasn't accidental. It's not like he dropped the gift on you and thought, oh, well, I'll just let him have it. It was with design that you have what you have. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Even how we allocate our time and our energy should reflect this. Your calendar, your goals, your strategies, your resolutions, your resolutions, they should reflect this. Because stewardship is a gospel mark on our life. Stewardship is a gospel mark. Can people look at your life and can they see a picture of what God has done for us? Can they see it? Or do they just see another person that looks just like them, that lives according to their desires and their flesh? Not really interested in putting a plan together, just kind of hoping that they change, hoping that 2015 is a different year than 2014 was, but really hoping that it just happens accidentally because they don't really have a plan to do anything. They're just kind of crossing their fingers. Maybe things will work out better. Maybe the diet will stick. Maybe I'll read more. Maybe my marriage will increase. Whatever but with no plan. Now, I know there's an objection that rises up in people because I've heard it. I've done this a lot. I've sat down with a lot of people and helped them work out plans. And the objection I hear most often when there is an objection is, Luke, isn't this presumptuous to just set out plans? In fact, doesn't the Bible say 
not to do this because we don't really know what God is going to do. And to put a plan together is to presume that you know exactly what God is going to do, and it seems like an exercise in futility. Now listen, there, there is a kernel in truth in that. We can't plan on what God will do, right? And we do have scriptures like Proverbs 16 that says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And we totally believe that because we believe God is sovereign, which means God has control over everything. He is a sovereign king. He doesn't play a minor part. He has control over everything and the right to do whatever he wants. So we believe this. I think the book of James helps us here. James 4, and this will be up on the screen too. Come now, he says, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So what we learn here is the process of setting goals and building plans of intentionality has to be infused with humility. Make good plans. Make really good ones. And then just know that at any moment, even in a phone call, God can change it all. God can change it all according to his sovereign desires. And we're cool with that. We're good with that. This is why we pray things like, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? What we're really saying is, God, I have a will, but your will is better than my will. Let your will eclipse my will and let my will bend to look more like your will. So he does have control and he will change things. The better direction is to make a good plan and leave room or as Dr. Swenson says, margin for things to change. For things to change. We have to build margin into our lives. And this is where many people go wrong. Just to say, this is when people are goal setting, this is where many, if not most people go wrong is they don't build any margin into it. Right? They, they have these high and lofty goals with no breathing room. And it just doesn't take anything to fail. How many people do you know that have set a big resolution up and they failed in the first two weeks? and they're so discouraged they never pick it back up again. I mean, isn't that where all good resolutions go to die? Somewhere between January 7th and February 14th? Right? I mean, the gym industry is counting on it, just so you know. Your average gym makes enough money between the last week of December and Valentine's Day to pretty much pay for its overhead for the entire year. That's why they overbook. They overbook their memberships because most of you will never go back. This is, it's easy money for them. We have to build margin. This is what Dr. Swenson says about margin. He's going to define it. He says, margin is the space between our load and our limits, as we already saw. It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. The space between breathing freely and suffocating. So we're about to go through the progression of how to do a good, healthy job of setting an intentional plan for your year right? Which I get really excited about. But as we go into that, know that I actually go over mine again in the middle of the year. I've already got all of my resolutions already set up for the new year. I was so excited. I just got to jump start on it in December. I'm really excited because this week I get to go back over them, right? And look at them and just kind of pet them and polish them. I'm excited about these resolutions. But every July, usually the 4th of July because it's a long weekend and it allows me time to kind of sit and stare and think, I actually retool them because some of them are, are too aggressive. Some of them were too easy. <laughs> so 
Sometimes life happens, right? I mean, once life gets its fingerprints all over your pretty plans, it's, it's good to build margin in by going in and readjusting, looking at it all over again. So as we set out to apply this, there is going to be some hard application, not hard like difficult, but hard like material application I want to bring you guys through today because today is a little bit of a different day. I don't want you to see it just as application. I want you to see it as worship. Most of what we're going to talk about today, you'll be doing on your own. It's not really something you can do today, but on your own. But don't think about it as application to your life as much as what it really is, which is worship. It's you saying, God, I am done as far as I can do it. I'm done giving you an accidental life, an unintentional life, a life with no plans, a life with no innovation, a life with no desire to grow. I'm done giving you a life with habits that I've just tolerated. I'm done giving you a life with no desire to build new habits, to not go to new frontiers. Instead, I'm going to give you a different life, a life with a plan, as much as I can. I'm going to plan, Lord. I'm going to give you a different life. And if you want to change the plans, Jesus, just show me where they need to change. But this is, this is an act of worship. This isn't just application. We see it in Romans 12. We see Paul saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. This is an act of worship. So what I'm going to give you today, it's all on the blog. It's what I've used over the last several years, right, to be intentional with this. I'm, I love the process of this. Feel free at any time to change, to tweak, to 86 something, to add something in. I'm just doing this to help you as much as I can. Some of this has been refined in the last year or so by a guy named Brian Howard, who is a church planter and a church planting coach in San Diego. And I've actually got a few of his better articles linked in the blog as well. So you can go and look on a little bit more in depth and detail on how to establish some of these things. But the first thing that I do is I look at where are we? Where are you? Step one, where are you? Last week we talked about the last week of the year being a little bit like an air filter, right? You shake it out and all kinds of weird stuff comes out, the particulate of a year. Your good things, your bad things, stuff you wish you, you would never see again, but there it is, just came out of your air filter. It lets you kind of evaluate and appraise your year. This is the step where you pull your air filter out and you look at your wins, your losses, your big moments, your little moments, things. How did your, your 2014 resolutions do, right? I sat down and did this with my wife a couple weeks ago. We were on a date night. I think it was probably more exciting for me than it was for her to look at my old resolutions to see how I did, right? I didn't do, all, I didn't do awesome. I did okay on some of them. I didn't do awesome, right? But this is just a stage of where are you at? The most helpful thing to do is to come up with some items. If you're not good at this, like family, marriage, business, finances, biblical fluency, gospel fluency, reading, memorization, mission, community, these big ticket items, and then just rank them from 1 to 10. Rank them from 1 to 10. How are you doing, honestly? I mean, if no one else in the world looks at that list, how are you really doing? I mean, are you really a 5? Come on now really really be honest with yourself step two which of these values that you've just ranked are the most important for you this next year i'm not saying most important in general right because that would probably be the same four or five every single year 
What I'm saying is, is which out of those 10 or 12 or whatever that you ranked, which four or five are on fire? I had some that were on fire a couple years ago. They've been moved off my list. They're no longer on fire. There are still things I keep an eye on. I still might have a resolution or a goal, but it's not on fire. I've got different things that are on fire this year. This is going to help you keep first things first so that you don't get wrapped up in stuff that is just menial. Proverbs 24, we see this. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And then after that, build your house. After that, build your house. Listen, don't start building your house until you've planted seeds and fed the oxen. Take care of what you need to take care of and then go and build your house. Don't start with your house because then the oxen's eating people and your garden. <laughs> they don't do that, do they? I don't think oxen eat people. But if they did, that's when it would happen. When you weren't looking, right? Off building your house. This is what it's saying. There is order to things, to keep first things first. It also helps you discern what to say yes to and what to say no to. You have to make room for these new values. These are values that you have determined are on fire and need attention and need a plan, which means you're going to have to say no to things in order to say yes to other good things, right? This is something I'm very, very poor at. I'm very good at saying yes to things, not great at saying no. My coach said, Luke, for everything you say yes to, you need to say no five times that same day. You just got to say no. You have to be really good at saying no. No, 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 no. It's just hard to make room. Author Jean Fleming, she refers to this as pruning the tree. She uses this illustration of her life being a tree, not in a New Age way or anything like that, but what she's saying is, is the trunk is her vital connection to God, her abiding in the vine, her relationship with Jesus, right? Then you have the big limbs coming off of that. And these big limbs, they stand for these values that you're wanting to really focus on in the next year, the things that are on fire, right? And then the branches that come off the limbs are this proliferation of activities that just come out of nowhere, the things we don't say no to, right? Branches, branches everywhere. This is what she says. Even with special care, activity branches multiply. Soon, the profusion of branches becomes so prominent, it becomes more prominent than even the trunk and the limbs. And when this happens, I feel trapped and frustrated because my life has grown away. We see an unbalanced tree. And this is how it is for us, isn't it? We don't prune very well. We just keep adding on new branches. We don't say no to things in order to say yes to things that really, really matter, the stuff that's on fire. And when we do that, we eliminate our margin. The more you say yes to, that you're not saying no to other things, you're eliminating your margin. You're glutting your life with nothing but activity branches. And it's actually become more prominent than even the limbs and the trunk. Step three, write a vision statement for each priority. Even putting maybe a passage of Scripture along, to it, along with it, if it means a lot to you, if that passage means a lot to you. Sometimes the passage is my vision statement. But this is where you define exactly what you want to look like. It's always best to write these in first person, by the way. right? Um, but to describe, I'm looking in a mirror in 11 months, and this is what I look like. Why do it that way? Because you, it was, we're going to go over in a little bit. You're going to go over these a lot. It's a reminder. It's a self-gospel preacher preaching the gospel and reminding yourself of why you're doing this, right? It's a vision statement. It's important to know where you're going. When I worked in the gym and I had a new client, I would sit down with them and I would ask the same question, so predictable. What do you want to look like? How do you want to feel? What do you want? 
Help, help me help you. And they would tell me, I would want to run a race faster, I want to put on more weight, I want to lift what I lifted in college. If it was a girl, they'd always put a picture across the table for me to look like. I want to look like that. Make that happen. It's a vision statement is all it is. And this is what we have to do. So what I did is, now, mind you, all of this is on the blog, right? And I actually have taken one of my 2015 resolutions and walked it through all those steps so you can see what it looks like in real time, right? And that is on, the one I have online on the blog is um, on generating new content for leaders. That's one of my resolutions. And that means blogs, that means position papers, teachings, things like that. That's something that I've wanted to do well on. So I walk that through and you can see it. But one I took from last year is this. It was on my health. It sounds like this. My health is a priority for me. I'm created to enjoy God and glorify Him, and so I will take dominion over the chaos that tears at my body as far as it depends on me. I'm building for the future by investing in my later years now. I have a desire to be around for a long time, and by God's grace, I'll be in the ministry for a very long time. I want to walk my girls down the aisle, see my grandkids love Jesus, see my marriage flourish, and plant an absolute ton of churches. And in order to do this, I have to say no to many things that my flesh wants to say yes to. I must bring discipline to my health. And I would read this every single week. Every week I'd have to remind myself of this. Listen, this takes a while. This, this whole vision statement is going to require you to sit and spend some time to think about it. Why is it important? From a gospel lens, why is it important that you do that? It can't be because you want to look better in a mirror or you want to be smarter or you want your wife to not nag you as much. Or so, it can't be something like that. Why does it matter? Why does it, how does it reflect God? Why, in a cosmic level, is this even remotely important for you? Step four, being specific, list some realistic metrics for these values, right? What are you going to do, basically, in order to be? What are you going to do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis? How are you going to scale it back? There's two really good ways to do this. One is just to start at the end and then scale it backwards and, and, and put, maybe even put some numbers to it to decide if it's even realistic, right? I did that this year. Reading is one of mine for 2015. It's one of mine in every year. I always have a mark of how many books I want to read. But I heard a couple pastors this year say, I'm going for 10,000 pages this year. I want to read 10,000 pages of a book, basically, or books. And so I just grabbed their number. I thought, that sounds good to me, too. If they can do it, I can do it. 10,000. And then I did the math. That would require me to read about 35 pages a day, right? 35 pages a day is about 90 minutes for me a little bit more than 90, like an hour and 45 minutes of reading because I'm a super-duper slow reader. So I thought, ah, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, every day, seven days a week? I don't know if I can do that. So I started with the time that I do think I could do, and then I worked it right back up. And then I know how many pages I need to do this year. Sometimes it's helpful to do that. Sometimes it just means you putting and being creative with good hard numbers on a vague topic, like I want to be a better husband. Well, step one, where are you? You just start all the way from the beginning. What do you think it would take to be a better husband? Well, I guess I could, I don't know, do the dishes. Well, how many times did you do the dishes this year? Four? I did it four times? Okay, so if you did it twice a week, brother, <laughs> you do it 104 times. That's a pretty big increase, right? 104 verses for that's, that's making progress, yes. So what days of the week do you want to do the dishes? 
Ask your wife. Have, do you see how you start working backwards? How many date nights have you been on? Boo. Four, right? <laughs> what if you did 52? What if you had 52 date nights? Even if you just went and grabbed some coffee and spent hardly any money, could you do that? Sometimes it's just putting hard metrics to a very vague topic, but this is step four. And the, this is probably where most people stop, right here. Most people that are serious about resolutions, this is where they stop. But I would say to really make it stick, go ahead and put it in your calendar. Take these action steps and put it in your calendar so that you have push notifications or something in your face that says today is when you start that new book. Today, I mean, you all have been on Bible diet programs where you have to read the Bible in a year or something like that and you usually read three or four chapters a day. That's all that is. That's all that is. Something that is in your calendar. Something that you have made space for. Something that you have pruned off enough of your schedule that you can put that new thing on there to see that thing that is on fire and grow closer towards God's glory. Step five. Review weekly and even monthly if you need to. Now, what this means is this. By now you have maybe a piece of paper or a document with a value up at the top. You have a vision statement right underneath it. You have three or four or five good hard goals. Just look over it every week. It doesn't matter what day it is, just a day you have time. 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I do mine on Mondays. Mondays is an easy, it's a protected time for me. So I spend about 40 minutes looking at how I did, making some changes, and then I schedule the next week based on what? My values. Looking at my values. Let them make my schedule rather than my schedule just happening on accident, which is how it happens for most of us. Our schedules are just on accident, and there's really not much intention about putting it together. You show up to things that you don't even need to be at. You don't get to do things that you should be doing. This is when this happens. Another thing we need to do is we need to be sure to print these goals and put them in a place where we can see them. Like all the time. Don't bury it in an app that's buried with the other 48 apps you have on your phone. It doesn't work. If you have it in a place where you're only going to see it whenever you choose to push three buttons to get to it, it's not going to work. But if you print it out and put it on your desk or have it on your phone's desktop or something like that, then it, it stands a chance of working. But at a place where you can be prayerful. Step six, the last step. Get counselors and advisors to keep you accountable, to help you with perspective, to help you stay encouraged. You need somebody to help you by telling you your goal is stupid. That's a dumb goal. Or it's out of reach. Or why are you, why is that a goal for you? It sounds like that's aimed at making you greater and establishing your glory. Explain to me the gospel motivation in that goal. You need help whenever you start failing, and you will fail at your goals. You need someone to say, hey, listen, there's grace here. There's margin for you. Listen, this is what God's interested in in this whole thing. You need someone to preach the gospel to you. You need someone to hold you accountable that says, how are you doing on these things? That is the beauty of keeping a good plan together. It says in Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So listen, as I said, this is all on the blog, LegacyKnoxville.com, and you can see it all written out, all the links and all the things are attached. And you can do that on your own time. But right now, as I finish, as we go into worship with the communion elements in the back, and as Chris explained, we do that during worship. 
So as there's music going, as there's words up on the screen, that's a beautiful time for you to take your family back with you or someone that you live with, um, roommate, whatever, someone in your community group, and then take communion together. Do it in plurality if you can. If you're here alone, then that's totally fine too. But it's a beautiful time to go over these things. And I want to talk to two groups of people, those without a plan and those without a king. Those without a plan and those without a king. Because there are people in here without a king. And I know what it's like to not have one because I am one. Where you see yourself as the owner and God as the manager, if there even is a God, right? But what you need to know is God and his brilliance and the generosity mingled with brilliance has hatched a plan. He has cooked up a plan in which before space was even space, and before light was even light, he knew who you were. Think about this. He knew who you were individually, knew how long you'd be on earth, knew the hairs on your head, the Bible says, knew your hopes, knew your dreams, knew of your worst moment, knew of the abuse, knew of the doubts, knows of your gifts, knows of those things that make you beautiful. He knows all of that. And in this brilliant and generous act of substitution, someone tapped us on the shoulder and stepped in front of us to absorb a wrath that was justly due for mankind. He took that. He took it for us. It wasn't a substitution born of anything but generosity and benevolence. And for those who call themselves Christians, for those whom God has brought near, that wrath is suspended. There is no more punishment. In fact, a lineage has been extended to those who are Christians, a lineage that extends all the way to the fountainhead where you are a co-heir with Christ and in the family of God, sitting at a table with which you can never lose your seat. It's a beautiful gospel story. But this is the thing. You can't be king in that story. There already is a king. What this story requires for you to be in this beautiful lineage, for you to experience this beautiful relationship, is to take your crown off and to put it at the feet of the one who truly wears a crown, the one who owns everything, all of creation and the fullness thereof. He has stewarded grace to you, grace, blessing and favor despite you despite your best attempts to continually try to get it on your own and despite your best efforts to run away from it as fast as you can. He has given it to you. But it requires a turning away from your own kingdom, turning away from being your own owner and your own king. What I'm suggesting is that you become a Christian. Forget, forget the planning. Forget the, forget the New Year's resolutions. What I submit you put at the top of your list is an action plan is calling another king and not yourself. That's what I would say very important. Those without a plan. If you're here and you don't have a plan, listen, you have a few days left, right? Can you see the general, can you see the intentional nature of God? Can you see this? I can see it. Ephesians 1 is a brilliant passage. You can't read through that and not see that he had an intentionally stewarded, purposed plan. Ask God in this time to help you see where you're bowing to your flesh where you're unwilling to grow we all have places where we are straight up unwilling to grow 
God, I'll grow here, here, and here, but that's too hard. I don't want to grow there. Where are you too proud to bring a plan? I don't need any help there. I'm fine there. I'm fine there. Where are you too proud? Ask God to show you these things. Ask Him to show you what to prioritize. Spend some time on this. Be prayerful. Go through the steps if you need to. But establish a plan. And yes, God might rock that plan and change it all by this time next week. And if He does, set a new one. Set a new one and grow. Grow. Not grow so that you're just cooler, not grow so that life is easier, but grow that you could reflect His glory to an increasing magnitude, that your life paints a picture of the gospel. Friends, we're a mist, we're a vapor, we're going to be gone soon. Little time left. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for your generosity and I thank you for your gospel. It's easy for me to see this here and I hope, Lord, that you work it deeper in our hearts. It's not really the plans that bring the success, God. We don't really grow because of our own muscle and mechanics. We grow because of your grace and your right hand, God. But Father, I do find you working so much in the hands of the diligent. We do see it, Father, for those who sacrifice and lay their lives down before you to do what you will, that your will would be done in their lives. We see growth happen, God. And Father, I've seen too many years go by in my life and in the lives of others which is spent in futility, accidentally living, hoping that we will grow but not really certain that it's going to happen because it hasn't happened in the last several years. Just kind of going with the flow. If something changes, it changes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. God, I want to lay down a different living sacrifice than that. So Father, we ask for your grace to show us where we stand. Show us. Show, show me even today. Show us today what is on fire. What needs help immediately? What can we do? Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom on who to draw near to our lives to help us on this. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being good. And thank you for being a good steward of your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.